Welcome back, guys. Good to be with you again on another Friday of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. This is a special Friday for a couple of reasons. Um, we've got uh, we've got Doug Wilson back with us for another episode. This is the first half of a conversation that uh, Doug and I had about music, and and this this was a fun one. We get into the talk of what music is, uh, the idea and the phenomenon of anti-music, the purpose of music um, to uh, to glorify, the role of music in in a world that is that is run and rigged by God, uh, and the place of music on uh, on different occasions, including uh, the occasion of a worship service. And it's a special Friday for another reason, because I am really pleased to announce that this podcast, in addition to uh, to being here on the Ezra Institute platform, has now officially joined up with the Rebel Alliance Media Network. And this is something that I'm excited about for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it means obviously there's there's more exposure, there's more people who will get to uh, get to hear this show, and it's a real pleasure and honor to. Uh, to be working with the Rebel Alliance guys, uh, and if you don't, uh, if you don't follow, if you don't track with the Rebel Alliance Media Network, uh, this uh, this is your opportunity. Go and find out what you've been missing. They're at uh, RebelAllianceMedia.com, and they've got several podcasts on engaging culture with a biblical worldview. They've got podcasts for your kids that uh, that you can use for te- learning about. Uh, learning about church history and the fathers of the faith. They run a, a website with, uh, with plenty of blogs and videos and really cool stuff. They're faithful brothers. They're just down the road, if that, uh, if that means anything to you guys in southern Ontario. And it's just, it's just great to, uh, to be alongside of, alongside of them. The, uh, this, this work of reforming culture is... It's uh, it's difficult and it can it can feel lonely, but uh, there there are more of us than you think, and it's uh, it's always encouraging to be surrounded and uh, held up by like-minded brothers and sisters in the Lord. So again, I commend to you the Rebel Alliance Media Network, rebelalliancemedia.com. Douglas Wilson, welcome to the program. Um, good to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. That's a pleasure to have you with us, and. Um, <clears throat> We're, uh, we're here, this is the, the podcast for cultural reformation, and one of the, one of the great things, one of the, uh, the things about being in the, in, the, in the cultural situation where we're in is, is that there's no shortage of areas of culture in, uh, in want of reformation. Yeah, no shortage of material. Right, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> pretty much anything is on the table right now, and we could... We could have taken this conversation in any number of directions, but mm-hmm. I was I was hoping today to have a conversation with you about music. Okay. Um, you uh, you mentioned uh, earlier some of your experiences with the uh, the early CCM uh, movement mm-hmm. in the seventies. Um, I just wanted to take take this opportunity to talk about music generally, um, about the music, the role that music plays in society about some biblical principles for 
thinking through the kind of music that we're going to listen to, the kind of music that we're going to to mm-hmm. perform where where that's relevant. Sure, sure. Um, and I'm not to, I'm not trying to be cute, but I wanted to I wanted to start start off by just uh, getting your take on what is music. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, you look at uh, look at. I, I googled it a, a couple of weeks ago. I'm just curious, and mm-hmm. had something to do with it's a sequence of sounds and silences um, with a determined beginning and end. Something like that. Right, you, you, and I would uh, I would uh, want to add the element of rhythm. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a um, it's a series of series of sounds with a determined beginning and end um, that is rhythmically um, framed okay. right mm-hmm. so um, that but that's a pretty low bar right. definition right, right? Um, and and the reason uh, the thing that um, makes it a low bar definition of music is that I think that it includes um, examples of what I would call anti-music so mm-hmm. since since music is a, a an art form, that means in Psalm thirty three one it says play uh, play to the Lord skillfully. Right. So the Bible talks about uh, gradations of training, skill, talent. So you can um, you can play the Brandenburg Concerto uh, superbly or poorly. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, if you butcher it and make a lot of mistakes and you're, you're still playing a great piece of music, but you're failing in the execution. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would, so you've got great music and poor music or, or that you might fail in the execution in the composition where you've got a lot of notes in there, but it's boring and hard to listen to. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like Mark Twain's old joke about Wagner's music, he, he said, "You have to understand that Wagner's music is much better than it sounds." <laughs> so, um, so there's, there's, uh, you have a scale of one to ten: superbly done, skillfully done, and poorly done. But then, and and of course, all of all of that a scale of one to ten would fit that definition of music. But you could also take uh, John Cage's music, yeah. which is, I think, an uh, an endeavor or an attempt or uh, to produce what I would regard as anti-music. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It is it is to music what jo- Jackson Pollock's painting is to painting. It's, right. it's not a painting, yeah. it's anti-painting. Yeah. Now, and, you, and the, because we're talking about art and aesthetics, there are many variables and complexities. I think there is such a thing as beautiful abstract art. If you look at a you know a Persian carpet, uh, mm-hmm. there's no representation there, it's, but it's but it's beautiful abstract art. Yes. But Jackson Pollock was trying to produce on canvas what he thought the universe was, which is chaotic. Right. 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 So he he um, he was displaying his anti worldview, like like yeah. his nihilism. Yeah. All right. So if you if you portray nihilism in paint. It's it's not really a painting. It's anti, even though it's paint on canvas, it's anti-painting. Right. Okay. Um, so uh, the same thing with Cage's music. It's it's anti-music. So I would want to make a distinction between true music, poorly done, mm-hmm. and 
not music. Right. Yeah. All right. It's 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 because not music because it's attempting to be not music. Right. Right. It's trying to erase music. So going back to the definition, I would want to add the element of aesthetic pleasure. Okay. So um, where music is a variation of sounds with a beginning and an end, rhythmically framed, um, calculated to produce aesthetic pleasure. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, addendum. Okay, so um, in other words, your bucket really ought to carry water. Mm-hmm. If, if you defined a bucket in such a way as to allow it to have no bottom, it's not really a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, what is music for? Well, music is to glorify. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in order to glorify, um, uh, glorify or adorn or or please or celebrate or mourn, you know, um, those are all functions in scripture. You know, Jesus talked about uh, the response of the, you know, the children who piped and didn't dance. And, yeah. you know, so those things are, there's, there's a teleological element in music. And we've gotten to the point um, where we define music as anything a musician does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then, then what matters is getting into the musician's guild. If you yeah. if you get accepted in the guild, you can do anything. Uh, the same way, if you get accepted as an artist, you can do anything. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, just yeah, you know, with that with the definition in mind, like John Cage's Silent Symphony, like four thirty three, mm-hmm. I think it's called. Right. Uh, it's there's no there are no notes. Right. Know, but uh, they still do performances of it. You sit at the, the piano. Right. You can write it all out in standard notation. Right. Know? It's all and, rests. And, and yeah. You and, know, time signature and everything. And all the people sit there looking as solemn as a judge. Yeah. And, yeah. and you think, oh, come on. Who, <laughs> yeah. who goes along with this stuff? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so you said uh, basically music is, music's a worldview on display. Right. Um, and those, uh, like all, all of our worldviews, there's, there's an aesthetic element. It should be, it ought to be designed. True music mm-hmm. ought to produce aesthetic pleasure. Right. Um, wor- worldviews contain aesthetic principles. Worldviews are as, as multiple as there are people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we have preferences and it's, uh, I guess uh, the pre- preferences that lead us to uh, lead us to prefer one genre or one artist uh, over mm-hmm. someone else. Right. Um, but as I'm just thinking, like it's uh, in some ways, it's a lot easier to say to explain why you would prefer Bach to Nirvana. Okay. Um, but it uh, it might be. Well, I would say let's start a little simpler. Let's okay, sure. let's uh, take a six month old baby mm-hmm. from. Norway, another one from New Guinea, another one from Australia, another one from uh, Alaska, and sit down with them and get your guitar out and play a basic tonal song, three chord song. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, and they, without any cultural um, training or, you know, uh, background in music to mm-hmm. speak of, are going to respond positively to certain forms of tonal music mm-hmm. and they're going to respond negatively to anything cacophonous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that that's because 
God made the world in a certain way. And he made, um, he, he arranged us, built us, fitted us to respond positively to tonal music and not to atonal music. In order to respond positively to atonal music, you need at least three years of graduate school. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You need to have been propagandized. You you need to have been um, led down the primrose path by somebody. Um, but babies, a baby's first laugh is going to be the same all over the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and a baby's pleasure in certain chord changes is going to be the same all over the world because that's the way God made the world. Right. So, and, th- and this is, um, this ties in with our, um, our Western culture is currently in an unremitting war against nature. They do not like the fact that nature has a given nature, right? They, we want, we want the authority to reconfigure everything mm-hmm. and, and, and say that music is whatever we say it is. Well, no, it's not. Right. So, yeah, m- music is God's gift to us. Music is something that, uh, something that we do as image bearers of God something that's that's uh sanctioned and mandated and mm-hmm. even given some uh some instruction in scripture right um there, there's a disproportionate um presence of christian artists in genres like hip-hop and heavy metal mm-hmm. um, what do you what do you make of this phenomenon i think it's um the result of the evangelical hunger to be cool Hmm. Right. And so uh, we have a lot of cutting edge evangelicals who are chasing the cool kids. Hmm. And I just think we need to stop it, knock it off, um, because the wannabe cool kids are never cool. Sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh, being late adapters, chasing, basically having us chase the world that have them develop some form or other and have then have us eager to clamor on, um, I think is just a deep seated insecurity mm-hmm. in evangelical circles because we don't have a positive worldview vision for aesthetic development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what we do is we have a bunch of kids who come up through homeschooling or Christian school and they have no musical training to speak of. Right. So all they know how to do is slap John three sixteen onto what the pagans have done. Yeah. Right. Well, um, and so, but that's not, that's not good enough. Um, so what, why are, why are we graduating kids from our Christian schools who, who are illiterate musically? I, I think we need to be striving to establish universal musical literacy in Christians so that, that by the time they're 16 or 17 or 18 and forming their own garage bands, yeah. they can do something other than just other than slavishly imitate whatever, whatever the world, whatever's hot in the world right now. Right. Right. So you think like it's, it's, it's obviously, I guess, influenced by what's, what's hot in the world. Right. Um, the, the other side of that is, 
are there would you say that there are there are genres that are that are off limits to the christian mm-hmm. yeah i think that i think that at and and because we're talking about humans um there are no doubt many variables yeah right um i've heard some rap music some hip hop that i thought was impressive okay okay uh but i th- I suspect, I, I think that um, good hip-hop is m- closer, it's closer to the spoken word and poetry mm-hmm. than it is to music. Right, yeah. Okay, okay. so it's so, poetry so, with a beat behind it. Yeah, it's, uh, and poetry has got, um, you know, and this goes back to our early um, earlier definition of music, a series of sounds, you know, arranged in a particular way with the beginning and an end. Uh, rhythmically framed um, well in Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree mm-hmm. is that music well no because that well I've got different you could probably maybe you know yeah. so, suppose um, I didn't sing the I didn't have certain defined pitches for the thing but it, it's rhythmically arranged it has a steady beat has a beginning and an end and so um, one of the strengths of hip hop is that it's logocentric, it's mm-hmm. wor- it's words it's word centered, and so I, I think that it there are you could have something that's aesthetically impressive in that realm, uh, but I, I I'm hesitant to say it's what music ought to be uh, because I think music ought to be more than just rhythm. I, I'd want melody, harmony. Um, counterpoint you know all, all the different you know, which you can't have in in hip-hop right. um i think that there are certain uh forms of music that are uh prob- highly problematic you know death metal or you know that right um because you it's not anti-music they're not making a statement that's against music itself but oftentimes it, the the uh, the form follows the function and uh, and if the function is to deny uh, that which is true, good, and beautiful, mm-hmm. um, and you have the music that matches the music that matches, you, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to do is sin musically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, if, uh, it's it's designed to uh, like to shock and to unsettle, and right. like the tone and the timbre and the pace is all. Yeah, or to oh. defy, or to defy heaven. So if someone said, uh, uh, and, but you want to be careful. I, I want to be careful here because um, uh, Chopin and Liszt mm-hmm. were uh, very much children of the revolutionary revolutionary era in the nineteenth century. Yeah. And someone once said that Liszt's music was cannons buried in flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was uh, flowery, romantic music, but it was intended to be subversive. Right. Yes. Um, and I can, let's say you had some defiant um, power chord, you know, heavy metal. Um, I can, I could think up a situation where that would be a suitable kind of music. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. But it's not suitable kind of music, twenty four seven. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And and yeah. and this is a problem with our 
commercialization of music is someone's a country fan or blues fan or death metal or hip hop. And then that's all they listen to. And, and that's another thing. If you're musically educated, musically trained, you understand that to everything, there's a season. Yes. Right. And, uh, and, and you can't have one kind of music that is a soundtrack everything so let's imagine a uh, imagine a movie that had all kinds of you know a death scene and a wedding and and a baby being born and a great victory in battle and a homecoming and a showdown with the bad guys and let's say you had this power metal music there's a soundtrack all the way through to every scene to every scene after about 15 minutes it would become desperately funny Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you, um, the bride's walking down the aisle and, right, and some, some guitarist is shredding it. And you say, you don't know. You obviously don't know what music is for. Right. Music has to fit the occasion. And that would include everything. Worship, mm-hmm. um, marriage celebration, uh, um, music for preparation for war. Yeah. Um, so, so if you go to a basketball game and you've got a bunch of fans singing, we will, we will rock you stomping on the bleachers. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fitting that, right. that, that works. Yes. It's a competition. Um, it's, it's a competition that's an imitation of war and, sure. and the music fits that, that kind of music fits, but doing that for the offertory yeah. Edu- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't fit. Mm-hmm. So um, let's, uh, let's talk about, Church music. Okay. Um, what's uh, I, I think I've heard you. I think I've heard you say before something very similar. Like it's not. It's not a question of what kind of music we prefer. It's a question of what kind of occasion a church service is. Exactly. So, um, and the one of the problems with our whole approach to worship in the seeker sensitive movement mm-hmm. is that we are tr- we treat church as though it's a shop. Yes. for pedestrians walking by outside to pop in. And in any shop, if you're a merchant, you want people to pop in with no prerequisites. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they pop in and they're ready to buy. And uh, the seeker-sensitive movement treated the customer. And, of course, another adage is the customer's always right. Yeah. And so you start catering to, to what you think the customer, the man on the street wants, and you start... Um, offering that. So there have been church, there have been churches that offered to change the oil in your car while you worship. And there have been churches that, you know, they'll, they'll do all kinds of things for you. And because you're, it's, you're treating the worshiper as the customer, but mm. in worship, God is the customer. God is the one being worshiped. Mm. And so when we pull out of the parking mm. lot, if you move to a new city and you're checking out different churches and, and it's an unfortunate term, but you're church shopping, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, because you're saying, what, what would be the best place for our family to settle in? And you pull out of the parking lot after worship. The, ten- the natural tendency of the conversation is to say, what do you think of the nursery? And what do you think of the music? And what do you think of the sermon? Yeah. And the real question ought to be, what do you think that God thought of the sermon? What do you think God thought of the music? Mm-hmm. Was that a God-honoring service? Not, was that a me honoring service right did these people cater to me well i hope not right i hope that they offered up to god what they thought he wanted 
to hear from them yes. that yeah. th- that yeah. Sunday. Now, one of the things, and you, you say, well, how do we? How are we supposed to know what God wants? Well, I'd say He wrote a book. <laughs> he, he wrote a book, so we should study that book and see what He wants. And, and one of the things He wants, and this is important, is edification of everyone who hears. So all the worshipers need to be edified, mm-hmm. not because they are the customer, but because God, who is the customer, says that all things be done for edification mm-hmm. to to yeah. build to build one to yeah. build up. So we, a pastor and a music director and those people, need to think about the position and the needs and the experience and the likes and dislikes of the congregation in order to build them up. Because if you don't, if you don't take any of those things into account, you're not going to build them up. You're just going to make them mad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, so here's the here's the next thing. In worship, we're told in Colossians and Ephesians that we are to address one another, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which means that every Christian is called to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. At least once a week, at least if you're a, if you're a baptized Christian, um, and, and this is, um, striking actually, because uh, Muslim worship doesn't have music. Right. Right. Um, it's, that's a, uh, like a Christian signature item. And it goes back to, goes back to David and the tabernacle of, uh, David. David was a great musician and he's the one who brought, um, we, we don't have any mention of music in the worship of Jehovah prior to the tabernacle of David. Okay. We have, uh, we have music, we have the song of Moses and we have the trumpets around Jericho, but, but the, uh, songs of praise, the Psalms yes. that we have, mm-hmm. we have very few. Moses wrote, wrote a Psalm and, and so forth. But most, uh, David is the one who put music on the, on the map. And when we get, when we gather together and, worship God and we sing and teach and admonish one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. One of the most obvious things about it is if everybody's called to do it, then everybody needs to be able to do it. Right. Right. And so that's, that means, um, we ought not to have church, church music or church music that's honoring to God is not the kind of music that trained choir members and they only, can perform mm-hmm. with everybody uh, out in the congregation, just sitting there like a row of thumbs um, listening to it. Um, uh, so congregational music, church music is not classical music. Right. Okay. Yeah. And nothing against classical and, you know, God bless it. And classical music is a very impressive form of music, but it's not congreg- It's not music for the worship of the congregation. Uh, perhaps you can have um, something classical music that the choir sings is a meditation but for the bulk of the service everybody down to the little bitty kids needs to be singing the songs mm-hmm. which means that the songs that you sing have to be within their reach yes okay yeah. um and it's not gonna they're not gonna want to reach for it if you foist something on them that's alien or distasteful to them or whatever it's got to be uh, i call it psalm candy you you want to bring people along and some psalms some forms of music are an acquired taste mm-hmm. and as soon as you learn how to do it it becomes enjoyable yes but it needs to be enjoyable from the first sunday <laughs> all right if you're if you got converted when you're 20 years old got saved and you started going to church 
and you listen to the music and you, you shouldn't, um, you wouldn't necessarily know all the songs the first Sunday, but you should love listening to, to it and you should want to learn them because it's the sort of thing you want to participate in. Right. All right. So now having said that, one of the problems that in modern seeker sensitive churches, we've abandoned the hymnal. We've gone to the overhead projector, which means that we've lost four part harmony. Right. Um, in the old days in the, uh, and and some traditions still the Lutheran Lutherans are very musical um, tradition. The Mennonites are a very uh, musical tradition. And if you go to a Mennonite church, uh, uh, singing four part harmony, average men, women, and children singing four part harmony is as um, common as drinking a glass of water. They sure. just okay. they just know how to they just know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, we, and evangelicals used to know mm-hmm. how to do it. And we gradually, um, slipped away from it. We've lost it. And so when you project something on the overhead, you're, you don't have broken out parts. Yeah. You have, um, a simple melody and, and it's hard to identify melody. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you basically have is chord changes and a weird form of semi melody, semi chanting. Right. right. So when I when I go to if I worship in a church with music like that, I can generally join in the singing. The words are right there. Mm-hmm. I can jo- and and I can noodle around in the key they're in. I can find what key they're in, yeah. and generally go along with the flow and sing and participate. But if I five minutes after the service out on the sidewalk, uh, if you said, "Could you remember that the tune or the melody of that second song you sang?" No, there's no melodic hook yeah. right yeah. right um and with the old the the classic hymns uh, be thou my vision or mm-hmm. um jesus thy blood and righteousness you hear it once and it's, it's with you. and it's it's with you yeah because there's a melodic hook mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the other uh, i've been just personally i the church that i attend uh doesn't do this i've just been personally thinking a little bit about um the use of psalms in worship and uh, the the use of ex- psalms exclusively in worship, mm-hmm. and I haven't uh, I haven't come to any strong convictions. But one thing, one one thing that I can that I see, you mentioned earlier, uh, the this thing about church shopping and what did you think of mm-hmm. the worshiper? Um, the uh, what what advantage I see in in the use of psalms is that uh, you you can walk away from a modern evangelical. Uh, worship service, and you didn't participate because you weren't feeling the songs, or that was a song that mm-hmm. was about what uh, what I'm supposed to feel, and I didn't happen to be feeling it this morning. Right. Uh, whereas if like if if you're doing that with the songs, that's your problem. That's yeah. not a problem with the right. music. Right. Um, a good illustration of this is uh, I grew up in a family that my, my dad. My uh, this pretty sure this came from my dad, but the. When we were singing hymns, we grew up in, I grew up in the Southern Baptist uh, tradition. And when we were singing through a hymn, if there was a line in there that was doctrinally erroneous, mm-hmm. my dad would taught us how to just don't sing that line. Just, mm-hmm. just stop. Right. And then you can join in on the next verse. And, but yeah. you don't sing what you, you don't sing what you believe to be positively in error. Um, and after, uh, 
after our, our church began singing psalms and we had uh, adapted to a salt, got a psalter and, and we're singing them. Um, one time we were singing along and I found myself doing that in a psalm. Mm. And, you know, I stopped because I didn't agree with that. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I don't, now I don't have the right to, to differ with it. You I can't quibble with the author anymore. I, I can't quibble with the author. Now, um, so consequently, I think that some, in our church, we, we sing probably 10 to 12 songs in a worship service. Our worship service is an hour and a half long. So we sing a lot. We, so out of that hour and a half, we're probably singing for 20 or 25 minutes of it. And we practice what I call dominant psalmody. We're not exclusive psalmodists. But we do believe that we have a responsibility to be singing all the psalms. Mm-hmm. And if you want, you can sing more than that. But we shouldn't be singing less than that. Right. Gotcha. Also, if you sing the psalms, you find yourself singing things that, that are corrective for many of the mushy, squishy, soft, uh, evangelical um, instincts today. You know, mm-hmm. smash their teeth in their mouth, oh, oh Lord. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. You know, that's the, that, that'll put some iron in your blood. Yeah, totally. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.